Hello, and welcome to another one of my Bibliophile Adventures. Here in the labyrinth of Bibliophile Adventures, I'm Michael from Germany. On Twitter, you can find me as SosTheRope, S-O-S the Rope. And I'd also love to hear from you via email. Uh, you can send that to Michael from Texas. And uh, I'm sure he will want to pass it on. Uh, today I am going to do a short one because I'm in the middle of two bedtimes. The kids just went to bed and pretty soon I'm guessing my wife is going to pop out of that bedroom and tell me it's my bedtime as well and she's right. So I'm going to start what I hope is actually just the first in a series of podcast episodes on Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, Let's drop some of those uh, SEO keywords and let's jump on the D&D bandwagon because today I want to talk to you about Appendix N of the Dungeon Master's Guide. I can hear you, at least those of you who love to read the appendices of these books, I can hear you saying, what? There is no Appendix N of the Dungeon Master's Guide. You're right. We are on edition 5 of Dungeons & Dragons. Um... Although Wizards of the Coast, the publishers of D&D, like to call it Dungeons and Dragons. Us fans love to call it 5th edition, and it's kind of about right. There's more or less five uh, incarnations this thing has gone through. Although, when you start looking into the details, you've got all kinds of weird uh, variants and variations. And some of them happen at the same time. So, are they really different editions, or are they just different flavors. I will leave that uh, to you kids to talk about. <laughs> I love the new edition. I think it's just D&D and uh, it has everything that I could want in there and I think I'll dig a little deeper into that in part two maybe when I'll talk about the gaming aspects. Excuse me taking a little sip of this good Israeli whiskey uh, back from the Golan Heights with a little water and uh, ice in there. So I want to talk about Appendix E of the Player's Handbook of Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Interestingly, they put the stuff uh, that used to be in Appendix N of the first Dungeon Master's Guide. A lot of it went into the Player's Handbook. So Dungeons & Dragons is a game which is a weird evolution of war games. When you play these war games, it's not like in the movie um, where you are literally endangering the world. You are at most putting yourself at risk of getting hit with a dice or losing some expensive figures that you spent way too much money on. And I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> I have plenty of those stashed away and I should paint them sometime. But uh, Dungeons & Dragons evolved beyond this world of uh, two folks standing opposite each other on a table and pretending to be the generals or some kind of um, heroes maybe at most uh, commanding a pair of opposing armies it evolved beyond that into a very weird uh, scenario which is totally unbalanced where one player is playing the world and the players, as we call them, so the other players, 
are playing the characters, the heroes, and exactly what it means to be the heroes, and even what it means to be the world in this imaginary scenario has changed a lot and maybe was never totally uh, just one thing in the world of D&D, but it's always been a very mixed bag. And when you start digging into this Appendix N, you are going to realize that. So instead of having these two armies made up of little toy soldiers facing each other across a big table, um, in Dungeons and Dragons, you've typically got a couple of people who want to be heroes. And you've got one person who's the dungeon master, and they are telling you what the world is like, and just giving you some background, and maybe a couple of interesting uh, problems to solve. You're thinking to get your imagination going. And then you say in your best heroic voice uh, what you're going to do. Or rather what your heroic self is going to do. And you kind of just go from there. And in the early editions of this game, a lot of... Um, a lot of thought apparently went into what kind of game this was. So it started out as a medieval uh, siege game, I guess. You've got a big castle and you've got an army and you want to break into the castle. And at a certain point they said, look, this would be interesting if we just took one or two of those warriors and they go down into the castle, maybe they break in through the through the basement or something like that, through the cellars, through the, the sewers almost. And they're probably going to meet interesting monsters in there. Oh, wait a minute. Now we've got monsters. Are there going to be these uh, mythical creatures? Is there going to be magic in this world? Like in all of the legends, actually, and the fairy tales of, well, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and pretty early on, the decision was, why not? It's a game. It's imagination. Let's do whatever the heck we like. And people loved it so much that pretty soon the whole thing went off the rails. And uh, Dungeons and Dragons was born. E. Gary Gygax uh, is well known as the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. He wasn't the only person involved, or even, I think, the most important person. Um, that is another story. But um, he certainly did put together all the rules, and he certainly was a master of sales and marketing, and he created this huge phenomenon. He was very much at the heart of that. And um, and rightly, he's remembered as being one of the main inspirations for the whole game as a game. Um, and especially for this concept of the Dungeon Master, who is this storyteller, spinner of legends, and dispenser of rumors and weird ideas. And in Appendix N of the original uh, Dungeon Master's Guide that was published in 1979. Gygax says this, actually they quote him in the new edition of course, who else? All of us tend to get ample helpings of fantasy when we're very young, from fairy tales such as those written by the Brothers Grimm and Andrew Lang. By the way, I'm reading the Andrew Lang fairy tales with my kids. Uh, you can download Andrew Lang's red fairy book and all of the other fairy books, uh, most likely for free, because they're really old, and uh, they're well worth a read. It's great to hear them read out loud, because when you read the stories to yourself, they can be a little boring, or they can seem a little boring, but when you read them out, you start 
hearing what you're saying and thinking, wait a minute, what a, what the heck is going on in this supposedly a kid's story? It's pretty brutal stuff. This often leads to reading books of mythology, paging through bestiaries, consultation of compilations of the myths of various lands and peoples. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair, actually, from my school days. <laughs> Upon such a base, I built my interest in fantasy, being an avid reader of all science fiction and fantasy literature since 1950. And when you look through his list of books, recommended books, you can, uh, yeah, you can believe him. So he says the following authors are of particular inspiration to himself. And um, basically this appendix is a huge list of whatever Gary Gygax had on his shelf at the time. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. It's just whatever he liked. And if you were to just pick one or two of these books and base your game of Dungeons and Dragons on just those, you would have a pretty cool game, actually, I think. But you'd have a very different game depending on which books you pick, okay? So let's just look through a couple of them. I'm going to stick to the ones I've read, and I'm going to look at the Appendix E list. Uh, maybe we can put in the show notes a link or a couple of links to the old Appendix N list for comparison, because now there's a lot of stuff out there on the web. You can find the lists pretty easily. Um, you can buy these books often very cheap uh, if you start searching for them. You can get them secondhand. Uh, the old ones like uh, Lovecraft, um, Robert E. Howard, you can read them for free because they are so old. They're out of copyright now and they are well worth picking up. Um, maybe as an audiobook if you don't have the leisure to sit down and stare at a screen. So anyway, what do we got here? Poole Anderson, The Three Hearts and Three Lions is a book I mentioned last time. That is very much in this typical genre of a modern person getting catapulted back into history. And that is, that is exactly the experience of playing D&D. &D. Um, you're still very much you. And it takes a lot of effort, actually, to put yourself in the mindset of somebody in a different time, in a different culture. But it is well worth the effort. Piers Anthony comes up next. See, so there's a Piers Anthony on there. Um, we talked about uh, Battle Circle by Piers Anthony in a previous episode. And I just got hold of my English copy of that, finally. So I'm going to be rereading Battle Circle from the beginning. I read it in German the first time. And I think I missed out on some of the fun nuances um, of his language, maybe. The fact that the bird, the little pet bird, is called Stupid. I was always thinking maybe it's called Dummy, because in German it's uh, Dummerschen, which is like little dummy. So um, Piers Anthony, he's quoted here for the rest, uh, Split Infinity and the rest of the Apprentice series. I haven't read those, or if I have, I forgot about that. But Piers Anthony is a wide-ranging author. Maybe he even wrote some pretty good stuff. Um, I feel like that's probably some plane-hopping fantasy, where you're wandering from world to world, maybe, or it's some of his sci-fi. Excuse me, I just want to take another trip to the Golan Heights here. Okay, so 
Piers Anthony is on there. I doubt that his more adolescent stuff is really going to help you much with your Dungeons and Dragons. Although if you like humor, especially really cheesy humor, puns and stuff, could be worth a look. Um, good. What do we got here? Terry Brooks, the Sword of Shannara. Oh my goodness. When I was in high school, my friends used to read this stuff. Um, the Shannara series is just really great writing. And it's well worth a read. If you have a little time on your hands, get a whole series of these things and just immerse yourself in this beautiful writing style that he has. Maybe I'm looking through nostalgic glasses here, but super easy to read and super nice to read. It's very much in a Tolkien imitation style, I would say. Um, and I would call it like the gold standard uh, classic fantasy writing of the time it's really a go-to series um, if you want to put it like that if you've never read it and you just want to lose yourself in some fantasy fun characters interesting stories we've got here let me see Elsprague de Camp he is a strange one Elsprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt are the writers of the complete enchanter this is really um, you're going to love this or hate it if you start reading this stuff. There's another book by them called The Carnelian Cube. And it is really kind of smart Alex stuff. Um, these guys were clever, very clever, and they like to show it. And um, I don't know, I got a bit lost halfway through some of this stuff. Uh, just because of the style, all of the intellectual... Um, showing off how much they'd read, which is fine. Uh, most of the books are pretty fun. Um, I like to think that Gary Gygax loved it because they do dive off into other worlds a lot. They are like little thought experiments. What if everything in the world was perfectly rational? Would it really be a great world to live in? Uh, what if everything was just pure freedom all the time, like total anarchy? That type of thing comes up in the Carnelian Cube, and it's clearly just for fun. The Harold Shea books are a lot deeper and a lot more serious. They kind of delve into a lot of great European myths and legends. At the same time, they are short and sweet, and I think that's an echo of what a D&D &D game is meant to be like, uh, in my understanding. It's not meant to be this long, um, drawn-out sort of tedious or painful history of your characters necessarily. I mean, fair play, if you like that kind of thing, that's nice. But I don't think that D&D is really uh, built for that. So we've got H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, finally, yes. Um, August Derleth rewrote a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's old drafts that he didn't finish. Um, and some say he kind of rationalized them, which I think is probably a mistake, uh, and made them a bit nicer kind of out of a mistaken Christian sensibility, maybe. Because Lovecraft is a, is just a great author. He is a rationalist writer and a staunch kind of atheist. Also has a few kind of obvious failings from a modern point of view. Um, somewhat racist. <laughs> a little bigoted. Um, many people have pointed that out, so I'm just going to leave that as it is. But when he's at his best... Um, 
he puts forward a view of a terrifying world in which um, there's only material things and we are a part of that world. We have this desire to make sense of things. We have a desire to find the reason behind things, which is why there's modern science, I guess, maybe. And his characters are largely uh, scientists or like investigators of some kind who discover that the world is just this bottomless pit um, and you never get to the end of scientific investigation because there just is no end. And what if there's these monstrous creatures out there which just don't care about human beings? That's H.P. Lovecraft. It is pretty uh, cheesy from a modern point of view. It's meant to be horror. Um, it's not scary to me at all in the slightest. Uh, one example might be, one exception might be uh, Herbert West Reanimator. And that is a cool story if you like horror, if you want to see some early examples of what could go at simultaneously horribly wrong with a horror story and maybe just perfectly right. That is an awesome story. Would make a great Marvel movie, I think. They try to make it into a horror movie, and I think that's the wrong approach. It's really more like a superhero story at the end of the day uh, that goes wrong. Philip Jose Farmer, I'm sure I've read this guy, but I don't remember a single story. Uh, Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss. We're down to the H's, guys. Let's try and make it to the end before I got to go to bed. And then we'll do another episode on this uh, huge book of worlds. Uh, Weiss and Hickman... Not uh, not a couple, uh, but a fantastic partnership. They wrote the Dragonlance Chronicles, and you got to read those two. It's even better writing than Terry uh, Terry Brooks, I think. Um, it inspired a whole chunk of D and D gaming books, just because the characters are so memorable. Uh, Tika Waylan and uh, Raelin Majer, and all of the annoying stuff with the Kender, the little. Uh, goblin-y halfling guys who steal your stuff and then smile at you. Uh, Hickman and Weiss, they even wrote uh, a totally different game system called uh, Dark Sword. And they wrote novels and they wrote the game system as a novel. And that is worth checking out just because the ideas are so cool. Uh, basically, in that story, um, it's a contrast between the world of magic and our world. And in this magical world um, where all of the magical folks from our world have gone to escape. Okay, so there's kind of a Mormon subtext here, but let's, again, maybe people have pointed that out. Um, they go there to escape, but they find out that even in this wonderful magical world, there's still um, scientists and these bad guys who want to just use uh, science and reason. And then uh, people come from the modern world and invade the world of magic. It's an awesome story. Um, and a cool idea for a game. Pity that nobody has ever played this game, as far as I know. <laughs> and if you buy the book, you're going to see why. We got to the H's. We got to Robert E. Howard. The coming of Conan the Chimerian, or Cimmerian, and the rest of the Conan series. All I can say is forget what you know about Conan the Barbarian. Go and read the original stories. The Arnold Schwarzenegger fil films, the movies with Arnie, they give you a good feeling of it for sure. Um, not the one with the crappy blue rubber snake, but the one where he's like dying in the desert. Definitely check that one out. 
and then read the book that inspired it and get um, just blown away by this very weird um, stuff that inspired uh, basically all of that barbarian stuff. I can't, I can't recommend this enough. It's, it's crazy. Um, and they're still drawing out the diamonds out of that stuff uh, with comic books and so on. Conan's got his own role-playing game as well. You just got to check it out. Uh, but check out the original stuff and see how different it is from the modern, from our pretty ropey interpretations. Okay, so a uh, bunch of stuff I've never read. Sorry. Uh, even Stephen King, I basically never read a single book. Sorry, guys. Ursula Le Guin, I got to read her. I feel really bad. One thing they did with the new Appendix E is they tried to balance it out. They got kind of 50-50 um, male and female authors on this list. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's totally fair because um, women have written just as great fantasy books as men, if not many cases, better. So Fritz Leiber, Swords and Deviltry, and the rest of Fafford and Grey Mouser, you have to read this. It's not very safe for work. It is pretty twisted stuff. But basically, that is a story set in a fantasy urban setting so a huge city full of corruption and intrigue and mysteries and these two heroes spend a lot of their time there in Lankmar this city of uh, of shadows I guess uh, but they also go on mythical quests and they go and sort of slay gods and all this kind of stuff but always with a tongue in their cheek and an eye to getting their hands on some gold pieces so by no means um, knights in shining armor. That is the other kind of hero that you can play in Dungeons and & Dragons. And maybe it's the most common type of hero. A wonderful um, single malt scotch whiskey there. So um, it fits, right? We actually got down to Lovecraft again. Complete works. Again, you should probably read Lovecraft if you have the chance. You might find that some of his stories are just awful and you want to skip over them. I would totally understand that. Uh, but the good stuff is really good. Uh, and funny. Really, really funny. Patricia McKillop, Forgotten Beasts of Eld. I've read about 10 pages. I got it on my appendix end shelf. I need to read that book. It is cool. Michael Moorcock. Okay, I want to do a whole episode on just Michael Moorcock. Uh, because he's British. That is one uh, plus for me. I am indeed English. Uh, although you might not notice from my strange accent, Michael Moorcock is kind of like the giant of British uh, fantasy fiction. People talk about your Terry Pratchett and your Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, whatever. And that's fair. I mean, those guys are popular. Michael Moorcock was doing it way back in the day. Elric of Melnibony, his classic hero, is this weakling uh, sorcerer. He's actually basically evil. He's barely a hero. Um, he's the pawn of fate. He doesn't want to do any of the stuff he does. Uh, but he has this magic sword, you see. And the magic sword has got a demon inside it. It doesn't even exist on his plane of uh, reality. It's sort of multidimensional being. And uh, it manifests as a sword, of course. Um, and that's the sword that talks to him just before it it, uh, it kills him at the end of the uh, very, very short story 
that kicks off the whole Elric of Melnibony, uh, Melnibony uh, story. It's a parallel to the story of Calavo. It's a parallel to a bunch of stories in Tolkien. Uh, the Talking Sword um, is a sword, an instrument of law or chaos. Is it the sword of justice? Or is it the sword of tyranny? Or is it the sword of uh, of chaos, you know, and wrongdoing? Well, that's the question that comes out in these books. Uh, Elric is pretty much a, a loser. He, he can barely walk without his magic sword. The magic sword is actually powering him and his super strength and his super abilities. Uh, but for this, it needs to drink blood and souls of his enemies and maybe in the end his friends. So what can I say? Go read Elric. That champion uh, of fate concept also bred a whole series of novels by Moorcock, which explore this law versus chaos idea. And that basically was taken over into D&D wholesale. So you've got this idea of good and evil, but more importantly, there's law and chaos. So do you stick to your word? Do you stick to conventions or do you just go off and do your own thing? And that is explored in his other books as well. He kind of spilled over this idea of this eternal champion. That pops up in um, Three Hearts and Three Lions as well, by the way. So the eternal champion fights um, in every age of the world, actually, whenever there's a need. Um, he'll, he or she will suddenly be called into battle and have to go on a quest and restore the balance. And the balance doesn't seem to really um, give a shit if you personally benefit from this or not. <laughs> so his heroes kind of become even more um, morally dubious. Uh, the closer they get to our modern era, uh, Moorcock's stories um, go right up to the modern day, basically, uh, in terms of when they happen. And there's some really weird, very weird stuff in there. What the heck this genre is, I don't know anymore. It's just super weird. Um, check it out. That's anarchic stuff. It's maybe not one to read, you know. <laughs> If you're looking for kind of game inspiration or even any kind of inspiration, because it's basically just anarchy and craziness, but maybe you know, read it before you jam with your rock with your rock and roll band or something, play some jazz or something. Let's move on. We've got Andre Norton, Witch World. Love Andre Norton. Uh, that is another lady author. Uh, in many ways, it's just straight up fantasy. One thing I can say is her writing is great. The words on the page are just, she either spent a lot of time on each of them or she just had so much talent uh, pouring out of her all the time. Yeah, Terry Pratchett, The Color of Magic. If you haven't read any Terry Pratchett and you're listening to this, I'm really surprised. Go and send us a mail and tell us what you've been doing with your time. It'd be pretty interesting to know. Uh, I've been reading Terry Pratchett since I was a kid. I didn't have... I'm British, I'm sorry, those books were everywhere. And um, I had no idea what kind of adult stuff I was reading, and it's maybe uh, a good thing. Um, it's a pretty cynical uh, and dark humor that you find in those books. Like I usually think about science fiction, it's not scientific and it's not fiction. He's writing about modern people, even more so than Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman is writing about 
gods and uh, myths and stuff from a modern point of view. Terry Pratchett is the opposite. He's very much um, a modern author and I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he's so successful um, because he's writing social commentary basically with a lot of jokes and they're pretty they're pretty annoying nerdy jokes but I'm British so I love them uh, and I guess probably you do too. If you haven't read any Terry Pratchett, seriously, like, what? where have you been? What have you been doing? I really want to know. Fletcher Pratt? I feel like I read something, but I can't remember. Okay, Patrick Rothfuss. We're down to... Ah, oh, we're nearly there, guys. Sprint finish. Patrick Roth, Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind. Kingkiller series. It says here the rest of the Kingkiller series because... Hey, dude, Patrick Rothfuss, we're, we're waiting for book three. Uh, but no, seriously, um, I'm happy to wait. I got it on pre-order. Uh, dude, take all the time in the world. It's going to be worth it. This is basically... So in D&D, your heroes normally go on adventures. They're probably going to meet interesting people, investigate mysteries, uh, do some quests for those weirdos out there in taverns or caves or the woods or whatever, uh, kill some monsters, solve some puzzles, try not to get killed by traps, uh, steal some treasure... Uh, level up and get cooler and cooler, have some superpowers, uh, build a castle, fly in a magic ship. But you got to wonder what they do on their day off, right? So Patrick Rothfuss wrote this book, uh, The Name of the Wind, and the sequel, The Wise Man's Fear. It's basically like downtime the novel. Here's what people do in fantasy worlds when they have no money and they have no quest to go on. They're basically just trying to get through life, solve the damn mystery of their own issues and personal problems and he uh he did it like a boss you know this book is great what can i say uh it's worth rereading if you really have the patience because it is kind of hard to read the second time uh, but there are so many little in jokes and little easter eggs hidden all the way through it um the man is really a poet and he really put in a lot of this bardic inspiration. Enough said. It's a fun book. Uh, it's weird. Don't expect a standard book. This is not a normal book. R.A. Salvatore. I have a bit of a beef with R.A. Salvatore. Um, the books I've read by him so far, I totally, I can't get into it at all. I don't understand what's the attraction of D&D books written after D&D. So he's kind of writing about stuff in the D&D game world, which is the Forgotten Realms. But he didn't invent it. Um, he has some memorable characters like Drizdo Erden, this ranger guy with the two swords and the panther and the emo uh, backstory. But basically, I don't really know. I don't know about this. I read a couple of his short stories. He kind of seems to be just writing them for the money. I don't know. I mean, they're fun, but that's about it. Harsh, harsh. Um, I didn't promise to be fair in these reviews. <laughs> um, let me see. Margaret Sinclair. Really want to read that stuff. Uh, very, very weird. Very freaky. Almost feel like I shouldn't read it. <laughs> uh, there's some guy called Tolkien here on the list. Uh, we'll talk about him in a different episode, maybe. But just to note, it says The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, if you can get through all of those, um, again, send us a mail. Tell us what you thought of those. <laughs> it does take a while. Jack Vance, The Dying Earth. We're nearly finished. The Dying Earth is just brilliant. 
uh, Jack Vance, um, again, don't know how he got those writing chops. You should just read it. His writing style is totally different to the other people on this list, all of them. He also inspired the whole magic system of D&D, where you um, memorize or somehow get hold of a spell, a magic spell, um, and then when you use it, you basically forget it, or you somehow can't access that part of your mind again, or whatever, who cares? Anyway, it works. What else we got here? And Roger Zelazny, good. Uh, Roger Zelazny, Nine Princes in Amber. This is an awesome story, uh, which I can't um, understand hardly. But it does have some cool imagery, like multiple worlds upon worlds upon worlds stacked together, and each one is slightly different. So as you're traveling through these worlds, they slowly change, and every step you take almost is taking you out of the familiar and into something weird and strange and new. Um, and also this concept of lots of feuding um, princes, princesses, uh, nobles, who all kind of like each other, all kind of hate each other. Uh, it's kind of a family feud. Again, I have all 10 books of this stuff on my shelf. I almost got through the first one. It is pretty heavy going, in my opinion. Feels a little formulaic, but then I've read a lot of sci-fi fantasy. Um, so that could just be me. So that is the Appendix E as far as I've got. Why don't you contact us and tell us if there's any stuff on there that I should uh, read next. I'm taking the approach very much of this is not a book review podcast. I'm going to give my personal feelings, my personal views on this stuff. And I'm going to just dig into whatever tangents and twists and turns come to mind. And I think that's the right way to do it because we got a lot of podcasts out there already that give you reviews and tell you what's useful and gameable in these books and stories. And that's cool. Let them go and do that and you should listen to them. Um, Appendix and Book Club is really good. Sanctum Securum is a great podcast. Um, the Tome Show used to have an Appendix N uh, podcast on the Tome Show network, which I really, really dig. You should really check it out. Um, with the best uh, podcasters ever. Uh, almost. Almost the best. Um, why don't they get on Nerdy Legion sometime? I heard they're pretty good. I'm going to also just go off on total tangents, like um, listening to Martin's episode last week while I was out running was kind of a zen moment. I was out there in the in the green spaces and I was just getting me some of that freedom and I was listening to this stuff and I heard him talking about staring at the back of his hand and it reminded me of a moment in Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. I think we should have an episode on that book and I'm trying to get some notes together for that because it really ties together a lot of things that I've been thinking about uh, running and traveling and just moving from place to place and looking for something. In this passage the author of the book, it's, um, people think it's Robert Pierzig himself writing about himself, about his real life. And he calls himself by a different name before he got uh, electroshock th therapy. And, um, he basically went crazy because he wanted to be, he wanted to stop being crazy. He wanted to, he wanted to understand things. Uh, he wanted to really, uh, know things and really, 
find the deeper reasons for stuff and not just be satisfied with the answers that he'd always found kind of pre-packaged, but really to discover what, what is out there, what is really, or what is in there, right? What is the nature of his own reason, his own desire, um, his thirst to, uh, to seek for the, the truth, the Holy Grail. And um, at one point, he's talking about his experience as a teacher. He had to teach writing class. And basically, he found that nobody could think of anything to say about anything. One of them, a girl with strong lens glasses, wanted to write a 500-word essay about the United States. He was used to the sinking feeling that comes from statements like this and suggested without disparagement that she narrow it down to just Bozeman, the town, I guess, where they live. When the paper came due, she didn't have it and was quite upset. She tried and tried, but she couldn't think of anything else to say. Well, she couldn't think of anything. She wasn't bluffing him. She really couldn't think of anything to say. A silence occurred, and then a peculiar answer. Narrow it down to just the main street of Bozeman. It was a stroke of insight. So she writes about a street, and she does okay. She couldn't think of anything to write about a street. Oh, sorry. And then... Something struck him. For every fact, there's an infinity of hypotheses. The more you look, the more you see. She really wasn't looking and she didn't understand this. How do we look at things? How do we look at reality, right? And I think that's the beauty of going on a journey. And that's what happens in this book, by the way. He goes on a journey and he looks at a bunch of stuff, but just like one thing at a time. He told her angrily, narrow it down to the front of one building on the main street of Bozeman, the Opera House. Start with the upper left-hand brick. Okay, so go and look at just this one brick. And she goes and does it, and she writes a 5,000-word essay, one brick at a time. And he realizes, okay, she couldn't think of anything to write about Bozeman because she couldn't recall anything she'd heard worth repeating. You have to go and look for yourself, guys. You have to find out for yourself. Narrowing down to one brick, this destroyed the blockage because it was so obvious she had to do some original and direct seeing. That's what I love about going out for a run and listening to you guys on the podcast. I'm out there, I'm listening to this fun stuff, and I'm seeing things for myself. It doesn't matter if it's a brick, if it's a tree. I want to see what's behind every corner, right? He experimented further. In one class, he had to write... He had everyone write all hour about the back of his thumb. Everyone gave him funny looks at the beginning of the hour, but everyone did it, and there wasn't a single complaint about nothing to say. So he had them sit and stare at their hand for an hour and write down what they thought about. Okay, and that's what reminded me. That stuck in my head for the last 20 years, I think, this sentence. So the more we, the more we take our time, the more we focus on one thing at a time, it's like mindfulness, right? It's so basic, and yet, how how do we not do that? I always remember, like, one time I spent literally an hour, I gave myself a task of doing an hour, like a challenge, an hour of silence. And after I came out of that hour of just sitting there silently, I felt amazing, like, just amazing, like, reawakened, you know? Like, just so refreshed. Even if it was in the middle of the night, I was still... So, like really focused and awake you know that kind of thing can really make a difference it's getting late so i should probably end there <laughs> but that's what that's the idea the idea 
we're going to look through this appendix again. So I hope we can call this episode Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition uh, Player's Handbook Episode, uh, sorry, Part 1, because this is only the beginning. We're going to go step by step, little piece, little piece, um, and let those tangents and let those derails and any kind of other stuff, let it happen without taking any uh, shortcuts, without blocking anything out, without censoring anything, okay? Um, although I'm going to try and keep it pretty safe for work. Don't worry, please. Uh, Michael from Texas. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say goodnight. This was Michael from Germany. Sauce the rope. Uh, sayonara. See you next time.